0: because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher,
0: editor-at-large of Recode.
1: You may know me as friend to Marge and Barr, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Some of you may be new to the show because you heard me on Love It or Leave It last Friday. If that's you, then welcome. Every week we talk to the most interesting CEOs, politicians, journalists, entertainers, and more about their big ideas and how they're changing our world. We've curated some of our favorite episodes to help you get started. Just tap the link in the show notes and start listening to an episode that interests you. But today we're gonna to play a live interview I just conducted with Lauren Underwood, a freshman Democratic congressman who represents Illinois' 14th district. Underwood, who is in a swing district, is not part of the squad that has agitated older Democrats. So she told me she has to be careful about how she talks about issues like the Russia investigation.
2: In my community, there's a large cohort of people that shut down when you say Russia, that you can't even get to investigation or impeachment because it's just noise to them, right? It's been like this endless bickering. They don't really know who's at fault. They doesn't care because it's not addressing the core issues affecting their family. And it feels like more of the same.
1: This interview was recorded live at Manny's, which is a bar and event space in San Francisco's Mission District. So let's go there now to hear my interview with Congresswoman Lauren Underwood. I apologize in advance for the glasses. I left my glasses at home. I live near here. No problem. But I didn't want to be late for this. The cool shades. Cool shades, that's right. <laughs> they work just as well. I have really bad eyesight. So anyway, I'm really excited to interview uh, Congressman Umberwood. I want to, because I interview a lot of tech people, and right. I interview a lot of people who have opinions about tech. Great. Um, and you don't have that many opinions about tech, but we, we might have some. But what we want to talk about is where we are in Congress. Sure. We are um, and a little bit about your journey and what's going on now, because I think it's hard to be uh, from a, a district that is a swing district. Essentially, you 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 have a swing. district. It definitely has
2: a different flavor on the job. Yes, exactly. Than some of my other colleagues. <laughs> so we need to talk yes. about that
1: because I think people need to understand what's happening sure. beyond just uh, the beyond just the regular things. So let's talk a little bit about your background first. Okay. Um, Uh, talk about the people who don't know you, how you got to where you got, because you're one of the more compelling stories of of the many compelling stories of the freshman
2: class. Thanks. Well, I'm Lauren Underwood. I represent the Illinois 14th, which is a half-suburban, half-rural community outside of Chicago. I live in a town called Naperville. It's 45 minutes west of the city. We have a Naperville contingent, specifically Nequa Valley Wildcats, in the room today. I'm so excited. Um, But our community is 45 minutes west of Chicago. And I'm a nurse, and I spent my career working to expand health care coverage in communities across our country. Right, so I worked to implement the Affordable Care Act at the federal level. Worked on private insurance reform, worked on healthcare quality and Medicare, preventive services, those free screenings and vaccines and contraceptive coverage. Basically anything the Obama administration was getting sued on related to the ACA was in my portfolio. Okay, all right. And then I joined the Obama administration and worked on public health emergencies and disasters. Mm -hmm. So we did Ebola, we did Zika, the mosquito illness, y'all remember that, Yeah. and the water crisis in Flint. And so it was during our time in Flint that the 2016 election happened. Mm-hmm. And I thought Hillary was going to win and that we'd have this chance to hand off our work on Flint and hand off our work on health reform to a team and that Ebola, cared. Ebola, I hope, and to Ebola. Right. Well, Ebola, by 2016, you know, it was on a downturn. It has okay. resurged now. Yes, it has. Um, yeah. In Africa. But then it was not at crisis levels. Right. Um, well, just a little bit of Ebola is a problem as far as I'm concerned, but go yes, ahead. Thank you, <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, you know, when the, the Trump transition team came in, mm-hmm. they made it immediately clear that they wanted to take away health care coverage from the American people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't want to help them do that. So I had an opportunity to convert back to a career employee, decided not to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I went back home to Illinois. Our state expanded Medicaid. And so I began working for a Medicaid managed care company in Chicago, mm-hmm. was living my best life and uh, found myself at my congressman's... Wait, wait, what is your best
1: life? What is What great? is my best yeah. life?
2: My best life at that time was, you know, not having to fly wherever there was a... Uh, natural disaster, Mm -hmm. an emerging infectious disease, right? Mm -hmm. Not going abroad, you know, at the last minute because something had happened, right? Being able to plan my life Mm -hmm. and do work I cared about, but have some balance, Mm -hmm. right? Like work-life balance. right? And then I decided to run for Congress, right? So (laughs) out the window that went. But at the time I was just so excited about this idea of being able to, be a millennial and do millennial things, uh-huh. right. honestly. And, and it, it, it was fun while it lasted. Um, but I went to my congressman's town hall. And mm-hmm. so this was during the time that there was all these different versions of Obamacare repeal mm-hmm. being considered in the Congress. And so right. there's all these different bills that did slightly different things. And so at that event, he said he was only going to support a version of repeal that let people with pre-existing conditions keep their health care coverage. So I'm a nurse... I have a pre-existing condition and I worked on the ACA. Mm-hmm. So when he made that promise, I believed him because it was personal. And two weeks later, he voted for the American Health Care Act, right. which is the version of repeal that did the opposite, made it cost prohibitive for people like me to get affordable insurance coverage. And I got really mad. Mm-hmm and decided, you know what, it's on, I'm running. Wait, no, come on. No, seriously. Really? You know, some people get upset and they're like, oh, I'm going to do something about that. And then life happens, right? So people have had these ideas to write a book and then life happens or start a business and then life happens or an organization. For me, I just could not let this go. Right. Couldn't let it go. This was like three months after the Women's March and, you know, the president's doing all kinds of crazy things and... I felt like we, as citizens, needed to engage. So had you ever thought of that before? I mean, you worked in the Obama
1: administration. Mm -hmm. A lot of people do run uh, Mm -hmm. from there. Rahm Emanuel, all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Had that
2: been a plan of yours? Well, I was always interested in service. Mm -hmm. And uh, serving in elected office is something that I thought could be an interesting thing to do later in life. Mm I was not at all planning to launch a campaign at 30. Right. So, you, and you didn't want to go back to nursing. You just want
1: to continue working in healthcare in some way. In health policy. Health That's policy. right. So you,
2: you do this and then you... But win. I want to I okay. actually be specific. You know, nursing is a very broad profession. Yes, it is. Right? We have nurses working in many different settings, mm-hmm. including in health policy. There's just right. fewer of us. Right. But it's very important that we bring our expertise to these spaces mm-hmm. because our patients, our, their families and our communities are counting on us right. sharing our expertise. Right. So I don't want folks to walk away and think that, you know, I left it behind, right? Or or that I'm somehow not a nurse because I've spent my career in these spaces.
1: Mm-hmm. So you run, D- did you think you were gonna win? Did you have any sense that you could win? This is again, talk about the, 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 district. the makeup of your district. Yes.
2: So the Illinois 14th was on that very first targeted list from the D-trip. So they put mm-hmm. out a list at the end of January, which mm-hmm. I saw. They put out the Illinois 6th, which was Peter Roskam, and the Illinois 14th, Randy Holkren. And my town of Naperville has actually been gerrymandered into three congressional districts. Mm -hmm. So a town of 140,000 people has just been carved up. And so one Democrat and two Republicans represented our community. And so I was so excited to see that somebody at the D-Trip thought that our community was winnable Mm -hmm. because they had not invested Right in our community in many 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 years, and so at that time I was like, oh, I wonder who's going to run. I'd love to help them, right? Right. And went on living my best life. Um, and so you know, what were you I doing at this moment? Knew, what was it? So this is. Yeah, no, what of was your best life part? Was it kombucha
1: drinking? What was your oh, best life? Oh,
2: it's like going to spin class, going to Pilates, right. you know, okay. like just want to make eating it clear. healthy, yeah. and then baking, when, and eating whatever I baked, and then yeah. okay. you know, hanging out with my girlfriends, okay. and I right. was in the okay. process of buying a house. You know, right. I was like really living my best life. Okay, All right. um, by most standards, I think. Right. And so well, maybe millennial life. Okay, All others right. probably have no. It sounds high like points. my life, but go ahead. Move okay, um, so. The DTRIP had listed the Illinois 14th, so they had some data. Mm-hmm. to suggest that our district could flip. Could flip. Right. Um, how long and, have you been there? How long? So my family moved to... No, no, he, no, you you're fa- How long have you been here? How long had the congressman been there before? Oh, Randy Holkren had served um, for four terms when I beat him. Right. So Randy Holkren was a Tea Party Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, but our district is probably most notable because it was Denny Hastert's seat right. when he was Speaker of the House.
1: Ah. So Denny
2: Hastert is the longest-serving Republican Speaker um, then in 2006, in the election, right under Rahm Emanuel's leadership at the D trip, right, the Democrats win the House. Speaker Pelosi becomes speaker for the first time, and then Dennis Hastert steps down. Shortly after he steps down, all of the all of the news of his um, sexual misconduct and sexual abuse mm-hmm. of his students. Yep. came out because he was making these inappropriate payments, payoffs. And uh, so he, then he went to jail. <laughs> so that's that's the history of the 14th. But most notably, there had only been one other Democrat ever in history that represented our community in Congress. Right. And who was um, there had His name's Bill Foster. mm mm-hmm. He won the special election. He's a physicist. Mm -hmm. After uh, Denny Hastert left, Mm -hmm. he did not get reelected. Randy Holkren, this Tea Party Republican, beat him in the Tea Party wave and then had continued to get reelected. Randy Holkren is a very nice man, Mm -hmm. presents as a moderate and then stood right by Trump Mm -hmm. at every turn. And so a lot of folks in our community, you know, the Illinois 14th is a... Very nice, beautiful, half suburban, half rural community. A lot of folks are not looking to the federal government day to day for help, for assistance, for much, right? And so for a long time, people were comfortable and didn't need to interact with their congressperson, weren't looking to watch what their congressperson was doing. And so then when Trump wins and you start to see all this stuff happening, people are like, well, who's our guy? And then they saw, that our guy didn't have our back, right? Right. He wasn't showing up for us in Washington. He wasn't engaging folks at home, refused to do town halls. He did that one and then went away for 16 months. Didn't appear in public, didn't have any kind of engagement. And so, you know, at the time that I got mad, right, mm-hmm. this is your question, spring right. of 17, did I, have a, did I think that we could win? yes i thought that we could win did i know how we were going to do it i did not did i know how to run for congress not necessarily a friend and i went to lunch her name's sarah feldman and i was like yeah you know i have this idea you know Mm -hmm. i'm going to run for congress i'm I'm really thinking about it and she takes out her notebook Mm -hmm. and starts writing things down at lunch and that's how we did it. We spent the summer of 2017 figuring out how to run. Mm-hmm. And I made the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the website that we still have up right now. You know, we wrote a launch video and got some friends to shoot it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a very DIY campaign. Right. And we ended up launching in August of 2017. I ran in a primary against six guys. Mm-hmm. I won. I got 57% what, of the vote. Why
1: do you think you won? What was the... <clears throat>
2: Um, I think that I won for a number of reasons. The primary or the general two? Just, primary. Okay. In the primary, um, health care was the number one issue. Right. Um, I had really rich background and expertise on and could speak credibly about the number one issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, you know, we had a approach that was non-traditional in our community. Mm-hmm. The traditional way that Democrats would be competitive, because they've never really won besides for Bill Mm -hmm. Foster. Be competitive is to target a few suburbs across the district and then just spend time in those areas. And I said, no, we're gonna go everywhere. So I had seven counties. We set up volunteer operations in all seven and spent a lot of time in each of those communities. And what we found is that farmers would tell us that no Democrat had knocked on their door in 10 years. Mm -hmm. In 10 years. And so it's like, how could that be? But we know that when you surrender seats, meaning you don't have a Democrat running for county board, you don't have a Democrat running for state rep, then mm-hmm. that means that there's no one door knocking. If you don't have full slates of committee, like precinct committeemen mm-hmm. and women, then that means that there's no local representative from that Democratic Party. And so people just didn't hear from us. Right. And so when we would show up, in their living rooms, in their cul de sacs, in their soybean fields, and talk to them about their issues, and then come back. Mm-hmm. And then come back, people were like, oh, I guess this Underwood girl is serious. Mm-hmm. Hmm, this is interesting, right? And then, you know, quite candidly, we outraised all my opponents combined. Mm-hmm. And so we had the resources. And when I say outraised, I'm not talking about millions of dollars, right? It was just more. Right? And, and I just want to make that distinction, because I know that so many folks, this is a very well-educated political audience that we have here. And you all, I think, pay attention to quarterly fundraising numbers, and you know who's up and who's down and whatever. But, you know, for my primary, we raised $350,000 total. And that was more than everyone in our race combined. And that let us do mail, it let us do cable TV, it let us do digital ads, it let us do what we needed to do to win our race. Did we hit our thresholds every quarter? No, we did not. I never in the primary hit my D-TRIP goal. The D-TRIP wanted me to raise, (laughs) I probably shouldn't even say this. The (laughs) D-TRIP wanted me to raise $400,000 in my first quarter. I was like, are you out of your mind? Right, right. And we didn't, you know, maybe that's the traditional playbook, but I'm not a traditional candidate, right? Right. right? And so when you are a non-traditional person in a district that people, you know, think is possible, potential, Right then, maybe you don't follow the traditional playbook, right? right? To to get to success, and so we crushed it, right. and um, <laughs> then ended up in this general, yeah, against straight. And in the general, that was uh, it was intense. Um, our district had never elected a woman, had never elected a person of color, had never elected a young person, right? And so someone like me is very different. Mm-hmm. But the Republicans nationally thought that Randy Holkren could sleepwalk and get reelected because he had that R for Republican next to his name on the ballot. And so that gave us some freedom to do what we needed to do on the ground what because you, they weren't paying attention. Why do you think you beat him on what topic? Healthcare. So we won really for I'd say three reasons. Number one, healthcare was the number one issue throughout the whole campaign Riskers from drug places cost 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 so not just drugs right premium prices surprise billing right this this idea that people can't afford to see their provider because they're struggling to pay their premium mm-hmm. they can't afford their insulin because they're struggling to pay their premium right and and it just goes up 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 and it's gotten out of control so the only thing that bumped healthcare as the number one issue was that those three weeks over the summer last year where we saw those images of kids in cages at the border. Mm-hmm. That's the only time that healthcare dropped. And so that stuck with me. Um, the second reason we won is this representation thing I was talking about, right? Did our guy have our back and would he show up for us at home? For, the, for Randy Holkren, the answer was no. And for a lot of the moderate Republicans and independent voters, they saw that. Mm-hmm. And they were not happy with that level of non-responsiveness and accessibility and non-transparency. And then the third reason I think that we won is that we were willing to do the work, right? So it's not just alignment, right? You gotta go out and you gotta fight for it um, and show up for people and the tone of our communications, the way that we ran the race is very different than people typically do in Illinois, right? Like corruption is something that Illinois voters are very familiar with. So many of our former governors Mm -hmm. end up in jail, right? This community had a Mm -hmm. congressperson that, you know, deep betrayal. Um, And so the idea that you're gonna run a race with integrity and be honest and, you know, positive, um, so you so. wanted to, since you had a swing district, yes. you wanted to be positive,
1: forward-thinking,
2: not That's necessarily right. running against Trump. I was not running against Trump. Right. Donald Trump, this election in the 14th was not about Donald Trump. I didn't talk about the president. Um, it was something that everyone knew was going on, but this it didn't really have a bearing on our race. Meaning that voters did not want to—they wanted to talk about the issues in your district. Right. I mean, Donald Trump won our district. He got 49 percent, Hillary Clinton got 45. Mm -hmm. With that 45 percent, she outperformed Barack Obama in 2012. Mm -hmm. But Obama won our community in 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, obviously, everybody voted for him for senator. At the same time that I was running, we had a really competitive gubernatorial race. Mm -hmm. Um, J.B. Pritzker won that governor's race in our state. He won by 16 points. Right. He lost— my district by eight, and I won by five. So there's a lot of people who voted for Donald Trump, they voted for Bruce Rahner for governor, the Republican, and they voted for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And we knew that in our community, we would not be successful if our race was about partisanship, Mm -hmm. right? This is not vote for the Democrat. That doesn't mean Mm -hmm. that much to a lot of people, right? Democratic Party in our state is run by a machine. The machine ends up being pretty toxic, you know, doesn't have a lot of fans out our way. Mm -hmm. What we found is that if we were able to talk to our voters, mostly women, Women aged 35 to 70 Mm -hmm. in my district, their names are Pat and Barb and Sue and Marge, and they are the ladies of the 14th district. Mm -hmm. And we would go out and we would talk to them. Mm -hmm. Everything we put out is designed to reach them. We know what they read. We know what they watch. We know Mm -hmm. the language they use, how they communicate with each other. So how does Barb feel right now? So Barb, (laughs) listen, Barb is pretty frustrated right now. Barb is pretty frustrated because gridlock is consuming, right? Mm-hmm. The president keeps tweeting. He's very offensive, right? He's using language that she would never tolerate out of her kids, mm-hmm. that her kids would get suspended from school mm-hmm. if they said those kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? She sees, you know, an administration whose officials are breaking the law by ignoring subpoenas. And even if she doesn't buy into the whole need of investigations, which she— depending on if Barb is a Democrat or not, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, she's concerned about the flagrant breaking of the law. Mm-hmm. And she really just wants someone to help her with her healthcare costs. Right. She really wants someone to help her have reliable internet connection. Mm-hmm. Because depending on where she lives in my district, she doesn't have it. Right. right. She really wants someone to help her child not be terrified going to school in three weeks when they go back, right? Because those kids remember each and every active shooter drill. Right. And it is like this, I would use the word paranoia, but it's actually grounded in a very real chance yes, that it absolutely. could happen to us. Yeah. And she's disgusted that this is what our country has become, right? Where children are scared to go to school. Right. Right. So Barb is not, like, happy
0: mm-hmm.
2: right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Barb, I think, is pleased that, you know, her Congresswoman shows up and is engaged and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's concerned about the future of our country. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll
1: be back after this with Congresswoman Lauren Underwood.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline
1: That's what you're, you're faced with. You're faced that's with right. this. So what do you do as a swing congressman? You know, a lot of people here and across, well, not Nancy Pelosi. She represents this district. Yes, she does. Haven't been pushing for impeachment, haven't been caught up in the fighting that's been going on or parent fighting mm-hmm. between the squad and Nancy Pelosi and the uh, all the Democrats seemingly fighting in some fashion. Mm. that is hard to understand, I think. Meanwhile, Trump takes advantage of it and uses it to, create a series of racist tweets that Mm -hmm. are flagrantly racist. When you're in your position, can you explain to everyone what, what the risks of doing that is and why you wish you could or wish you couldn't or where are
2: you on impeachment right now? Okay, so I'll ask, answer the first part of your question okay. first, which is what do you do when you win from a swing district? Right. And so I recognized that health care is the number one issue in my district across the country and that's what I went to Congress to do. Mm-hmm. So I serve on three committees, one of which is education and labor, which was always traditionally part of health reform conversations but mm-hmm. had a very, very small role. Mm-hmm. As compared to the others, meaning ways and means and energy and commerce. Well, they put me, Donna Shalala, and Kim Schreier, the first female physician in Congress, on this small healthcare committee to work on healthcare, and we get to do whatever we want. Okay. Right? And it's so are so smart. Yeah. They, uh, Nobody crosses a Donna Shalala, but go right. ahead. It, yeah. It's amazing. And so we really get to advance the health care agenda. Uh-huh. I decided, I you know requested to serve on Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And I'm now the vice chair on Homeland Security. And we have jurisdiction over the U.S.-Mexico border mm-hmm. and what's going on, right? And so remember when I said the only issue that bumped health care was the treatment of the migrant children? Mm-hmm. Now we get to work on that, mm-hmm. right? And I serve on Veterans Affairs. And the way that our country has continued to struggle to offer high quality healthcare services mm-hmm. to our nation's heroes
0: mm-hmm.
2: is quite candidly pretty despicable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's work on this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I decided to go to Congress and work on healthcare issues at every chance I get, right? right? On Homeland, they've never had a healthcare person, right. ever, since this committee was created, since the Department of Homeland Security was created post 9 11. What an incredible opportunity. Mm-hmm. When we think about cybersecurity and all the rest, to really explore and dig deep. So I love my job. I think it's very fun. Um, and we're good to solve a lot of problems. Now, with respect to impeachment and the investigations and all these other things, you know, in my community, there's a large cohort of people that shut down when you say Russia, that you can't even get to investigation or impeachment because it's just noise to them. Right? It's been like this endless bickering. They don't really know who's at fault. They doesn't care because it's not addressing the core issues affecting their family. And it feels like more of the same, right? Because again, that voter in my community is very familiar with what corruption looks like. Mm -hmm. And so this flavor is not necessarily, Mm -hmm. necessarily more or less, Alarming. Even if it's in secure elections, it's just the same. Well, right, because you have to remember, we knew that Illinois got hacked Mm -hmm. well before the Mueller report came out. Right. We knew before my election in 2018, we knew that this was, that there were vulnerabilities that were exploited and that the Russians got in. Mm -hmm. We knew this. And so two years later, for Mr. Mueller to outline it in a report, it's like, yes, next, Mm -hmm. almost. It's alarming. Right. And there's certainly things we need to do about it. But I'm just saying, like the ladies of the 14th, Right. Mm, I don't know. That they're like across the board, clamoring. So, so what do you do in that
1: situation? You have, you, suppo- you have not supported impeachment yet. Is that correct? I have not called for impeachment.
2: Be- and that's because why? That's because we need to move forward in a way that brings the community with us. Mm-hmm. Because if I act unilaterally, or what's perceived as unilaterally, right, the and leave my community did. behind, right. then it looks like a power grab. Mm-hmm a power grab. Mm -hmm. And then I'm no better than him being the president. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we're here for, Mm -hmm. right? And so I think it's very important to make sure that our investigations can continue forward. You know, as Mr. Mueller stated when he testified, Um, the scope of his investigation was very limited. Mm -hmm. Um, He could only do, like, obstruction and Russian interference. Mm -hmm. He wasn't able to investigate, you know, the financial dealings and all these other things. Congress is the only one Mm -hmm. that can do that, along with a few attorney generals, depending on their jurisdiction, right? And so, you know, I think that we need to continue to see where the— court cases go. Mm -hmm. We are, we being the House is winning a lot of these court cases. And I think it's important that we get all the information because let's say that we just skip ahead and we move forward today, right? A lot of that information would never come out. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people are concerned primarily with the president's actions, Mm -hmm. but I think that you know, there could be a scenario where others are involved and it's important to have all the facts so that we can ensure that this never happens again in our country.
1: Yeah. So you running for the next election, which is like, tomorrow you have to start doing that, right? We've already launched every election. I I I mean,
2: I have seven Republican opponents. So a lot of people, especially at the congressional level that you'll talk to, they'll say, you know, we're gearing up for a very competitive race. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm in a competitive race. Right. I had a Republican opponent that filed to run against me two weeks after I was elected Mm -hmm. in November Mm -hmm. of 2018. It's Mm -hmm. like they objected on general principle. I hadn't been sworn in. Mm -hmm. I hadn't done anything. (laughs) And it's just like, nope. Who is this young black woman in our seat? Right, Right. And that... Like, it's that layer of, you know, racism, sexism, isms mm-hmm. is on everything that right. they, the Republicans, put out. So how do you feel? How safe do you feel your seat is? Uh, it's a toss-up race. Mm-hmm. Literally rated a toss-up by all those, you know, political people. Toss-up raiders. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it feels competitive, but I'm doing my work. Mm-hmm. And keeping my promises. So, how do you stay in there? How do you keep that? Because that's
1: one of the issues. Keep, uh, you know, what? Uh, keep these seats. What? How do they keep these swing seats to hold the house? Because that's yeah. That's that's the critical part of. I mean, the I'm house. home every weekend.
2: Mm-hmm. I think I've missed probably two weekends in six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we show up to all the small towns and all the public events mm-hmm. and we have the town halls. We do these things called office hours, which I found after the first set of town halls that people had questions that really weren't appropriate for the large group mm-hmm. and people just wanted to be able to engage me directly. So I'll just like post up at a city council chambers and people just come in and talk to me for 10 minutes mm-hmm. and you know ask their questions or take their pictures or what, whatever, right? They mm-hmm. just wanna be able to interact. Right. Right. And I think that that's really important. We have good constituent services. So how are you going to hold on to the seat? What do you think? We're going to the key fight is? for it. We're going to work for it. We, I am running for re-election. I am raising money. We have staff on the ground. We have offices. We mm-hmm. are doing the work every day. And how do you imagine
1: you could get beaten by one of these Republicans, one of the seven?
2: Well, you they'll know, they'll duke it out among themselves. Yeah, I think that if I'm forced to run the 2020 presidential in the Illinois 14th, we will lose. I think that if I wait to engage those voters that we know that we need to follow up with and we wait till the spring of 2020 to reach out to them, I will lose. Mm-hmm. I think that some of the presidential candidates are super toxic. Mm-hmm. And I will lose, along with many other Democrats in swing seats, and we will lose the House. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to be careful in how we approach this wonderful opportunity that we have all right. who is who's to toxic collect? i i'm not going to answer that i think that you all can imagine well, the whoever question. you think whoever you think is toxic is toxic <laughs> okay you look at it because whoever's toxic think about it whoever's toxic for San Francisco is super toxic in the 14th district okay. <laughs> well it's a different thing what's toxic it's different here. but you know not that I would different. imagine if
1: you had to pick toxic, probably Biden would be more toxic than Elizabeth Warren here. So that's a different toxic. Mm. Right? Okay. All right. I'm just saying. I suspect. Okay. Yeah. I don't know about Marion Williamson, the feelings here. I haven't asked him. Yet. But you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mayor Pete, I just did an interview
2: with him. He's a nice guy. Okay. <laughs> So you need Some of the tribute. others you just said are nice people too. Right, but yeah. I don't want you to my silence to be like, oh, there's beef." No, there's something. Yeah, right. no but
1: you I, I presume that you'd want a more a democrat that people in your in these swing districts can get behind. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes. And I want someone who's used to talking to people. Right. You know, like a lot of folks in Washington have gotten good at Washington. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Right? Yeah. They learn how to be successful and effective in navigating a very dysfunctional system, mm-hmm. which is a skill set and it's very valuable. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of people who are not used to going into a living room or sitting down in a diner and talking to a regular person. Right. They have no idea what to say. They literally don't know the words to use. Mm-hmm. They literally don't. And that is something that I found mm-hmm. was so valuable. If you are disciplined about your speech and your language... You can talk to anybody. So, one of my favorite examples, because I figure you might ask, is about (laughs) debt free college. I'm waiting on toxic, but go ahead. Okay. (laughs) Debt free college. So, debt free college was something that really came out of the 16 election, right? Bernie was, you know, all excited about debt free college. And in my district, people don't like things that are free. Mm -hmm. And they don't like things that are for all, right? Um, And they just don't. And so, you know, I heard that and I said, okay, so what I would talk about is modernizing our financial aid system Mm -hmm. where we would have Pell Grants that reflect the true cost of tuition at a four-year public college. Mm -hmm. And we would have subsidized student loans that would fill the gap for the rest, room, board, books, fees, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? And lo and behold, people were like, yes, that's right. We do need a modern financial aid system. People shouldn't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like on board. They're like, yes. Well, guess what? That's the debt-free college proposal. Mm-hmm. But you don't call it that. Mm-hmm. You don't call it that. right? Because that turns people off. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that the Democratic Party has been doing mm-hmm. is that we like hashtag labels, hashtag mm-hmm. conversations, things that people can be like, oh, debt-free college, yeah, mm-hmm. And while that's good at what I would consider to be, like, mobilization, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: right, to get people out, that does not convince persuadables. And I think that we all need to be more thoughtful. We all being, you know, engaged, very engaged Democrats need to be more thoughtful in the words that we use to describe our ideas when we are talking to persuadable voters. Mm -hmm. Persuadable voters are not mobilizing people. (laughs) Right, right.
1: So— getting to then Medicare for All, hashtag Medicare for All, how do you feel about that being someone who is quite up on this topic?
2: Yes. So, you know, when I would travel around my district Mm -hmm. and people would be like, well, we're in Medicare for All. I'd say, well, what do you mean by that? And I would get some version of Medicare 55 and up, which is lowering the Medicare eligibility age. That's Mm -hmm. not Medicare for All. Medicare 40 and up, Medicare 18 and up, Medicare at birth and buying into Medicare. Mm-hmm. Then you get the people who want to buy into Medicaid and they call it Medicare for all and all this other stuff, right? So everybody has a different definition. Mm-hmm. You have the people that want to keep private insurance, get a, give, uh, get rid of private insurance. There's all these different ideas. We are in an open brainstorm period. And I think it's very, very healthy right. for people to be having this open exchange of ideas. However, we know at least in my community, that the majority of the support for Medicare for All is coming because people's healthcare is too expensive and it's out of reach for too many people. And that is what's driving their support. And the reason I learned this is because I thought when I started running that people supported Medicare for All because like me, they believed that healthcare was a human right. And that in fact is not the case. They support Medicare for All because they think that Medicare is free. And they want healthcare to be free because they can't afford it. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, totally. And so I um, am not supporting the bills mm-hmm. in the Congress as they stand. Um, I think that they are flawed. And more importantly, they, we don't know how much they'll cost and how to pay for them. And at this point, I think it is a strategic decision to not talk about the cost
0: mm-hmm.
2: because that will transform not only our healthcare system, but our economy. Um, And, you know, I think that in a community like mine, where the average income is $105,000 a year, average, that you need to be upfront about what that cost looks like and if folks will be on the hook for a tax increase. Now, just because it's a tax increase doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right? And I'm very clear on that. Um, But people are not seeking out tax increases. Mm -hmm. And so... (laughs) As just a general rule. right? right.
1: (laughs) Politics 101. Yeah. Uh, Read my lips, no new taxes. Well, Uh, I didn't
2: say that. No. Just for, you know, the tracker that's listening to this. Right. That was Kara. (laughs) Yeah, that was Kara.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Um, (laughs) We're going to take another break now. We'll be back after this with Lauren Underwood, who represents Illinois' 14th District in the U.S. House of Representatives. Are there any other issues you think are critically important? Because I went to, just so you know, I went to the House Democratic. Caucus you did. To I was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were there. At our retreat, our retreat. And what was fascinating about it was the differences of opinion yes. for me. Yes. And I brought my two sons and one of them said, oh. "Mom, this is a ballroom of America because yes. everyone's arguing with each other." Um and I I was like, "The Republicans aren't even here and they're arguing with each other." Yeah. But what was really interesting was the different viewpoints. Mm-hmm. How do you work with a caucus like that? How do you feel being part of that versus sort of a more lockstep how are they going to manage that? Because over here you have the squad doing things. You've got mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi over here doing things. You've got the,
2: the swing state people. How do you manage to so be as part of that? We might have some disagreements in how you achieve certain goals. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, everyone shares values. Mm-hmm. And I think even shares, like, priorities. Meaning, folks recognize that healthcare is very important, right? That we want to pass an infrastructure package that's very important, right? This anti corruption message is very important. Climate change is very important, right? So people are pretty united on those top agenda items. It's just like how you solve those problems is where there might be differences of opinion. And in my experience, that reflects some of the difference of opinion. Among the American people, mm-hmm. and so you know, the press likes to talk about the division and the the disagreements and how we can't even talk to each other, and there's these heated debates and people storm out and all this stuff. It's like nonsense. Well, some of those
1: words were pretty pointed. Well, yeah, I mean, I think press, it's inappropriate. They, it.
2: they all said it to each other, kind of thing. Uh, sure. Yeah. But at the end of the day. We work together to get things done and to deliver for the people. Mm-hmm.
1: And do you do you think because the because the Republicans are using those as a wedge between and among Democrats, they're using mm-hmm. them to try to talk to the persuadables, look at this group, and mm-hmm. they're sort of taking the uh, the squad and making it villainous. Yeah. How how do you deal with that? It's some. It can be somewhat effective to do
2: that. Well, you know, there's a, a very clear difference in style mm-hmm. in the way that I do my job and the way yeah. that some of my other colleagues do theirs. Right. And not just limited to those four women, but really across the caucus, there's right. a real difference. There is. And I'm clear at who I work for. Which I work for the people of the 14th District. Mm-hmm. And we're in touch. And, you know, I think that they do not hesitate to let me know when they disagree with things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have two-way communication.
1: But you're in a world where this kind of talk is, is just, a, is it just noise? I mean, you have Trump doing some, you have the squad doing yeah. some, you have everybody...
2: We had to learn very early on how to be disciplined in our work. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if I'm so busy responding to the news of the day, I will fall into a tangent and get so far off course that the idea of passing my healthcare legislation becomes an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And that is not why, I am not here to respond to the news of the day. Mm -hmm. And that's candidly why I stop going on all these news shows all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, we talk to the producers ahead of time. They're like, oh yeah, we want to hear about your bill, want to hear about your bill. And I sit down and they spend five minutes Mm-hmm. on the president's tweets or whatever disagreement and then 30 seconds on why I'm there. Mm-hmm. Right? And my job is not to communicate with America. Mm-hmm. My job is to communicate with people in 14th District. Right. And um, one of the things that I know um, in talking to some folks in this community is that there's a real concern that uh, the Democrats don't have a message or the Democrats aren't being responsive and Uh, communicating about these top-tier issues. All we do is talk about investigations or Russia or Trump Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I want you all to know that in my community, folks know what we're working on. They Mm -hmm. know about my veteran suicide bill that we passed. They know about the robocall bill that we passed last week, right? They know that we we affirmed the U.S. was staying in the Paris Climate Agreement. They know about the wonderful work that we're doing in the House because our local press publishes it. Okay. And so while that doesn't get national coverage, I think in these swing communities, folks know. So how do
1: you, as a, a Democrat and as mm-hmm. a politician, ignore the enormous amount of noise coming from Trump? Largely, he I creates mean, something There's an action. There's I an action reaction, action,
2: reaction, action, reaction. But, you know, I think a lot of um, people tweet their, or treat their social media like they are a news agency, right? So they are reporting out on what happens. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not a journalist. Mm-hmm. Right? It is not my job to be like, you know, blah, blah, blah happened today. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, someone can read that in the news. Mm -hmm. If I have something to say about it, then I will comment on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I don't think I have to comment on everything. Mm -hmm. Is that hard to resist? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have enough people that are close to me that I trust. And, you know, I don't have, like, these... I don't, I don't get enraged where right? I just feel like I have to release. And if I wanted to release, it certainly would not be on Twitter.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> certainly would not. Right. Um, now, I read comments. I'm very well informed on what people think mm-hmm. and what they're saying. And, you know, you go deep. And, you know, it's interesting when you meet your Twitter troll in real life. Whoo, and the troll lives around the corner. It is not a bot, right? And so then you're like, okay, you interact What was your troll like? I mean, cranky and... Uh, kind of odd, but it's a, they're real people mm-hmm. who are very engaged right. and don't like what's happening. Right. Right. And sometimes they're loud at town halls and they demand attention and energy. Mm-hmm. But when that conversation moves offline, right, then it, you, at least you can have a conversation, right. which I think is valuable. Right. Like, let's just talk. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that true values are, at least in my community, we're not that far from each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're really not. It's just how we solve those problems. Right. There might be disagreements. So how did, why does it feel like that coming out of Washington? Is it that the people should just ignore
1: what Trump is doing? Not just saying, but doing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Sunday, yesterday, there were like eight things. It was like, we're going to kill everyone on death row. We're going to we fire I them. I not hear about that. You don't care.
2: Well, I didn't hear about it. No, so I the only I'm saying there were like eight knew. of them, and I just,
1: I, I just started... Uh, Marie condoing my house because it made me feel oh, better.
2: That's good. See, yeah. that's living your best life. Yeah, it was. Um, so I, the only thing that, and we haven't like spoken out about this, but I think is, you know, what require some attention is Dan Coates. Mm-hmm. Um, being forced out for, as the director of national intelligence mm-hmm. and like to call this new guy a Trump loyalist is, I think, even downplaying how completely unqualified this man mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm to be the director of national intelligence. Right. However, I mean, now I just spoke out against it, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, we hadn't before mm-hmm. um, because I'm not chasing those headlines mm-hmm. and don't need to be part of all those news articles. Mm-hmm. And honestly, when I'm before my community on Wednesday morning at a town hall, right, we're gonna have an opportunity to talk about those things to people directly, which right. is where I see a lot more value so I want
1: get some questions from the audience, but yes, how
2: positive do you feel
1: about the Democrats winning, keeping the House, mm-hmm. winning the White
2: House, mm-hmm. and you keeping your job? Well, I think that if I keep my job, the Democrats will still be in the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we are going to do all we know we need to do to win this race. We cannot do it alone. We cannot just count on, you know, the D-trip or party. Organizations to do it for us, Um, like I said earlier, right? I'm like a non—I'm a non-traditional candidate. I'm the youngest Black woman to ever serve in Congress, Mm -hmm. ever. This is an institution that literally was not built for someone like me, right? It was built by people who look like right, and that's very different, right? Um, And so, you know, we're just gonna hustle and do the work, and I feel okay. Okay. I mean, so it's what's competitive. The, what is the fatal thing
1: to do wrong? And what would you think, if you were run, one of the 27 people running for president, what mm-hmm. would be
2: your message? If I was running for president? Yeah. Oh, I'm definitely not running for president. No, I, no, no. I don't
1: I don't want to be no, the president. No, but if you were, I'm, I'm putting you there.
2: I don't know. That's something that I can't even contemplate in this moment. What should the candidates be running on? Health care? Yeah, the candidates should be talking about things that regular people care about. And, you know, I think that the early polling... They should not be distracted by the early polling. And I think that if they know that they can't win, they should drop out. Mm-hmm. All right, on that note. But they so much like being in the debates. And if, they, and if they think that they'd be toxic in communities, then they should drop out. All right, okay, all right. Because, you know, it's too serious.
1: It's too serious. All right, all right, non-toxic people. Questions from the yes. audience. This is terrific.
2: You're fantastic,
1: Nick. Right here to start
0: with. Hi there. What was the challenge
2: for you? Speaking to a community that I believe is 11% Hispanic, three, like 4% Asian American, and less than 3% African American. Speaking on issues that might have a tinge of like racialization, like migrant youth,
0: in a way that was consumable. Um and, and that that couldn't be like headlined in some like right wing yeah. moment. Like So yeah.
2: you know what's interesting is that our election was not about race. Like it literally didn't really come up. And here's why. I'm black. You can tell I'm black by looking at me, right? I know I'm black, they know I'm black, yeah. my parents are brown-skinned black people. My parents were on the campaign trail every day. Every event, one of my parents would be there and because they loved it, right? And they loved meeting people and seeing their new friends all around the community, and they were very <laughs> engaged. Like, my parents, my parents are so glad I'm running for re-election because they get to go and see their friends all around the <laughs> district again, right? Like, that, that's just how we ran our campaign. And so once people were like, oh, okay, she's a black woman. it's like, So what do you think about X, Y, or Z? Issue-based. That's how the election was. And even with the migrant kids, it was a moral issue. Children should not be in cages, and certainly not in the United States. People were horrified that this stuff was done in our name, right, underneath our flag by the leaders of our country. And they felt like it was wrong, un-American, and completely unjust. And so that's not something that I would have to stand in front of people and be like, as a black woman or as a person of color, I am horrified, right? No, as an American, I am horrified. Mm-hmm. And this is wrong. And, you know, we have got to do everything that we can to stop it. And at the time, you know, Randy Holkren said, he said, oh, I sent a letter. Really? That's weak, mm-hmm. right? And, and people agreed. So it, it wasn't like we had to invoke race or respond to um, challenges because of race. Now, this year's a little different because Donald Trump has used uh, racist rhetoric Mm -hmm. and targeting of many of my colleagues in order to score cheap points among his base. This is a strategy that he is employing. And many of my Republican opponents are ardent Trump supporters, and they like to mimic what he does. And so we are preparing ourselves for a 2020 election that will have this, again, young black woman, intersectional, racist, sexist, ageist attack line coming. And that'll be different. Um, But I also have a record and now people know me. And so my staff and I were having this conversation today, like this whole idea of othering. Othering is only effective if people are scared of you. Um, And I am not a scary person. And even if I were, right, folks are, I think, we have delivered for the people of the 14th District, and we will be able to demonstrate that to them.
1: Okay, next question. Right here. Hi. Other than give you money, what can we San Francisco's do to help you? Well, thank you.
2: Do you want San Francisco money? Just (laughs) question. We are running a very competitive race. Okay. I need to raise six to eight million dollars to win this race, Wow. and we From three three hundred and fifty thousand no, so that was for the primary that was primary, and then the other one you spent, and then million. whatever four point seven less three hundred fifty right. so four point three yeah, a lot um, and so yes, we need your financial investments i 'm not taking corporate back money, right, and you know we want to uplift the voices of people in our political process. And yes, in the House, we passed HR1, And Mitch McConnell has basically said, over my dead body, right? And, and that is unacceptable. Um, and so, you know, we need to have a Senate that will be responsive to the American people instead of just, you know, killing all legislation, even nonpartisan legislation. Like, I think of my veteran suicide prevention bill. This is something that everybody should be clamoring to vote for right now. Mm-hmm. And the idea that Mitch is just too busy with his judicial nominees to give it full consideration is something that I just think is appalling, right? So what can you all do? Um, I know that you all are very skilled at canvassing. I welcome you to come to the 14th district. Um, people are so nice. Even folks who do not agree, they'll be like, I'm gonna close the door now. They will not slam it in your face. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it's really a lovely experience. Uh, phone banking and texting is very important. And then, you know, just at a foundational level, being careful how you speak and the words that you use in engaging in public discourse about what's happening in our country is very important. And that is a message for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I, I do a lot of chats with interns and students, and I've spoken to like every student nurse in the state of Illinois. And, you know, I always tell them, do not tweet in anger. Right. Do not let that be your outlet because this stuff lives on forever. And there will be consequences for you and there will be consequences for all of us. And I think that that's just a, an important reminder for folks who are interacting with our political system in a way that um, yields influence, but folks may not be happy about the direction of our country. It's very easy to you know, be a boss behind the keyboard, right? Uh, and it just has some consequences for folks in other places. Piece of advice uh, over here. First of all, you are amazing, and I thank you. Healthcare is also my number one issue. I volunteered to help get it passed, and for the past five years, I've been an enrollment counselor for Cover California, and you're welcome. It's, it's my passion as well. How are you feeling about several of the candidates have plans where they want to fix the ACA, which we never got a chance to do, and then create the public option that's Medicare-like, it's what Pelosi wanted to do originally, and let people choose to go in there on their own so that it gradually takes over. Is that more your approach? You know, I think a public option is something that like, duh, we need, right? A public option is not a political winner like you say public option, nobody applauds in my community. Uh, No one applauded here, right? It's just like, yes, if you want to buy into one of these programs, you should be able to do it next. And the idea that we have to expend so much political capital to do something as basic and needed as that is something that I think speaks to how fundamentally flawed our political system is. That being said... I think that we're probably going to vote on a public option bill before the end of the 116th Congress, and I think that that would be great. I have a bill, it's H.R. 1868, it's the Healthcare Affordability Act, which would extend tax credits to more Americans so that they could afford their health care premiums. So right now, under the Affordable Care Act, people making 400% of the federal poverty limit or less, so a family of four making $100,000 or less would be eligible for tax credits. But we know that every year, you know, some people work an extra overtime shift or something very slightly small changes in their financial situation and they no longer qualify for the tax credits. Well, in my community, premium prices can be twenty dollars or $25,000 a year, premiums on the marketplace, which is not affordable. So our bill says that people would pay no more than 8.5% of their adjusted gross income on premiums. So that same family of four would now pay $8,500, down from twenty dollars or $25,000. Huge savings. People understand it. And I think we're going to get a chance to get that on the floor this fall. And so, you know, I'm excited. I get excited about things like that. It's concrete. It saves folks money. They understand how it would impact them. And you'll appreciate it. This is for a silver plan. So that's good coverage. This is not like those high deductible, you know, I have health insurance in case I need it. Kind of situations. And people need to be able to live healthy, well lives. This is not a luxury. This is not a commodity, right? This is basic human rights. And uh, we have an opportunity in this 116th Congress to make real progress. We do not need to wait for a Democrat to be in the White House to be able to do this work. Now, Mitch is the barrier, but it is not like we don't have the power to. Convince him to persuade him and to see, make him see that he needs to move on our legislation. Okay, um, great. Um, all right,
0: let's this is do the last question. Yeah. Oh, last
1: question. Let's do the way back because so I didn't get to anyone the way back. Sorry.
0: I'm curious about how you feel so confident knowing what Barb or, you know, the representative yeah. voter in your district. Pat, Barb, thinks. and who?
2: Sue and Marge. Sue and Marge. <laughs> Sue
0: and Marge. How did you get and there to were real know women? Get, get your pulse on did you did you do polling? did Was it really just from knocking on doors? Were there ever differences between focus groups or polling that you did and you know, what you heard knocking on doors? I'm just curious how you really got to It seems like you really know your district. Yes.
2: So we got to know people through having a series of house parties. What a house party is is people invite you over and they invite their neighbors over. and they would we would sit there for an hour, an hour and a half, and they would ask me whatever they wanted. And it would be on all kinds of things. And we got to know each other. And then we would come back. We'd come back and talk to them again. And then, you know, folks would come out and volunteer. And I like people, right? I like to talk to people. I'll ask them a million questions about their lives, their business, their families, what they care about, why, how they got here, have they ever done this before, right? I just ask a lot of questions and you, people are surprised that I care and they share quite candidly. Now, of course we did polling. Of course we did the focus group. I couldn't even really tell you what the focus group said. I think we only did one, right? Like that was not the most valuable way that we learned about the district. The most valuable way to learn about a community is to be in the community. Ayanna Presley says, and I'm going to get it wrong, but she always says something like, you got to be closest to the people with the pain so that they can have the power, something like that. And I think you have to, you have to be among the people. Um, everybody's not going to respond to a poll in a way that's truly honest, right? Like we learned that in 2016 with these exit polls. Uh, but people will tell you about themselves. And they will do it quickly, right? Who here has been to speed dating, right? It's amazing. Am I the only one? Yeah. Okay. Okay, yes. Manny and I have, not together, but we have both been to speed dating. That would be really wrong. Yes. And in speed dating, you get like three minutes with the person. It's amazing what people will tell you in three minutes about themselves. Maybe sitting there like, well oh, is that really the way you want to introduce yourself? It's like kind of shocking. Um, But people just share. They share about their lives. And they welcome you into their homes and you meet their children or their grandchildren or their partner. And and it's beautiful, the trust that people place. You know, as a nurse, early in nursing school, we are taught how to build a rapport with a patient because you get maybe three, four minutes max with a new patient to walk into their room and build trust. And so the way that we were taught to do it is you look into their eyes and you say, hi, I'm Lauren, I'm your nurse. How can I help you today? How are you feeling? Tell me what's going on. And they need to trust that the advice that we're giving and the information that we're sharing is in their best interest, right? And, and that we're only, we're only doing it because we believe that it can help them. And I see so many parallels in the work that I do today. People come up to me and they're like, Lauren, I need help. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. People are sharing their most vulnerable concerns. And like, it's like, almost like a very intimate moment, right? Like they are very, very, very vulnerable. And it's an honor to be able to do this work on their behalf. And I'm really grateful that they place their trust in me. So final question. What's the best question Marge asked you? Uh, <laughs> or Pat. Yeah, or Pat. Um, Not Barb. So, Sleep you know, barb they... Once we got through all the policy questions, then they get to the personal ones, right? And and those are always fun because inevitably someone has a son, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> or, you know, the cute neighbor down the street and I should come back a different day so we could just, like, casually bump into that person. Like, that <laughs> kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I really enjoy those um, interactions because then that's just, like... Human being to human being, right? Right, and they care and they're invested. And you know, the ladies of the Fourteenth are often like, Lauren, how are you doing? No, really, are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking water? You know, how can you keep up with the schedule? Like that kind of thing. And they they care, um, and they're watching and they're following. And I appreciate that. And so we have great chats. You should, you really should come out. I'm planning on it now. I and, have to meet these people. Yep. <laughs> and you know, it's not that far from Chicago. Yeah. So you know you can get a little bit of all worlds. You that's know I've your been thing. to
1: rural areas. I have many relatives there. So well, you know, I but
2: everybody don't. hasn't. No, I know. We have yeah, some folks here who grew up in the 14th district. I met them before yeah. our chat started, mm-hmm. and uh, they're from a very small community uh, near the Wisconsin border, um, and it's just different yeah. than here. And I think that people uh, should. Get outside the bubble. I don't know enough about San Francisco to mm-hmm. presume, but I suspect it's like DC and like Chicago where you know you need to break out every now and then. Yeah, And I encourage people to do that um, because we're not so different, yeah. but life is different.
1: No, it's true. It's interesting. I went to Kentucky, but I ended up telling the coal miners their jobs were gonna get AI'd out of existence. And- it went okay. Um, they, was, they, everyone was telling them they were going to get their jobs, and I was like, actually, here's what's going on. They appreciated the honesty, I think. It was interesting. People do appreciate honesty. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. But they can come here, too. They're welcome to come here if they want to come to San Francisco.
2: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Okay, right. But I, I think that uh, a lot of folks can't or don't travel. No, I know that. But But people should be spending
1: more time meeting other people outside their comfort zones. Anyway, speaking of which... Lauren Underwood.
2: Thank you, good to see you.
1: Thank you, Congresswoman Underwood, for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at HeyHeyESJ. If you like this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media, Pivot, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to Manny's for hosting us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.